Welcome to the Metagenics Clinical Podcast, where natural healthcare practitioners can hear innovative, cutting-edge information from leading experts from around the world. Hi everyone, Nathan here from Metagenics Clinical Podcast. Today we have two very special guests here to talk about personalized nutrition during pregnancy. Firstly, we have Emily. Emily Ridbom is a certified nutritionist and lifestyle counselor and has been practicing the functional nutritional approach to pregnancy for over five years. Emily's passions include empowering women during the pregnancy, preconception and postnatal time period and teaching families about their healthy nutrition and lifestyle. Joining Emily is Leslie. Dr. Leslie Stone, MD, is a board-certified family practice with a fellowship in surgical obstetrics. Dr. Stone is an international lecturer on developmental programming of disease and application of individualised functional medicine care during pregnancy. She has been delivering babies since 1982 and has delivered nearly 5,000 children. She is the owner of Ashland Comprehensive Family Medicine, Stone Medical in Ashland, Oregon, where she continues to practice. Today we're here to talk about Emily and Leslie's research they have published titled Customised Nutritional Enhancement for Pregnant Women Appears to Lower Incidence of Common Maternal and Neonatal Complications and it also talk about their Grow Baby program. Welcome Emily and Leslie. Um, before we get into it, uh, today we're going to talk about transgenerational uh, influences and effects of uh, pregnancy, but I thought it'd be uh, good to point out that we've got a, a bit of a translational, a transgenerational podcast here with our mother and daughter, is that correct? Yes, absolutely. And also in the clinic you've got your uh, Dr. Michael's son as well, so we've got a whole family affair going on there in Oregon. Yes. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. So we're here today to talk about um, the pre-pregnancy period. So perhaps first, um, Dr. Stone, um, can you give us a bit of a background on your uh, history in obstetrics and why you moved into more of a functional approach to it? Absolutely. I have um, been practicing since, well, graduated in 1984 and been practicing obstetrics even a year or so before that time period and realized in the U.S. that... uh, even over these 30 plus years, we have not had improvements in really common um, maternal and neonatal morbidities that um, you'd think that with our richness of nutrition and lifestyle possibilities that we would be able to, to make, you know, be at the, lead, lead the world in, in the kinds of uh, health outcomes that we all like to do. But instead we see the, the opposite of that. If anything, we are, we have a, an explosion of, uh, of, a global health epidemic of um, chronic diseases, diabetes, obesity, autoimmune disorders, asthma, allergies, psychiatric disorders, uh, dementia, all, all sorts, everything, you know, cancers, immune dysfunctions. And as it turns out, um, these seem to be rooted, yes, in our, yes, they are influenced entirely by our, uh, our current environments, the environment of that F1, the current generation. But we also have indisputable cross-ethnic um, evidence that says that these are truly rooted in the um, periconceptual time period and in the most modifiable time, modifiable time period, which is that first four years or so, of the first thousand days, as people are liking to um, call it, um, that reaches backward and forward beyond that as well. Great. What we've found... Oh, go ahead. No, no, continue on. What we have found is, um, well, we, we quote often um, Barker's recognition of that Dutch hunger winter in 1944, where there was an annexation of the Netherlands. 
that resulted in um, a winter, a, a, a first and a second and a third trimester of starvation. And depending on which, um, which uh, period that that mother happened to be in, which trimester she happened to be in, predicted consistently um, what kind of disease outcomes that child, that F1 generation, would experience as a 55 to 65-year-old. And it seemed to be linked most consistently to whether that baby was too small or too large. And you'd think, well, then it's just the Netherlands. But no, no, it showed up also in the great leap forward in China um, where uh, the you know, bureaucrats were moved out to the farm and the farmers were moved into the city. And there was great starvation. And during those same, with these same outcomes, these small and large for gestational age, we had increased rates of hypertension and atherosclerotic cardiovascular diseases in, the, um, in that fifth and sixth decade as well. Move up to Finland during, you know, moving back to the to the um, uh, that uh, you know, World War II time period. Move down to the Gambia in Africa, you know, and looking at the the seasonal variations um, that seem to affect permanently a genetic uh, uh, a genetic expression that is modified or induced by methylation, and that would be what kinds of greens you're eating in, yeah, the, okay. in the rainy season versus those that are, are the, you know, opposite of that, that are, exist in the dry season but do not exist in, in the wet season. And the outcomes all are quite consistent that we end up with these babies who are at the, at the, at the, too far at the spectrum of too big and too large. And, and those ones seem to be the ones who are at increased risk for these chronic diseases. And so truthfully, we do all sorts of things, and we should continue to do all sorts of things in the adult years to improve ourselves. But truth of the matter is, we have this remarkable, malleable, powerful time period that um, pre-exists, yes, by at least three months preconception, and then moves all the way through the, um, those crucial trimesters, and then on for the next four years or so. Great. So it's quite the opportunity with simple measures that can make a profound difference. Okay, fantastic. So that's covering off particularly like basic calories, nutrition, um, too little can affect the, and it's particularly during the gestation period. We also just covered off perhaps um, methylation with folate, with the, the leafy greens. Uh, Emily, I'll throw to you. Is there things we've identified um, beyond um you know the the, the nutrients and, and even micronutrients that could also affect the the phenotype of the offspring and even subsequent generations. Yes, particularly as it pertains to um, stress, um, what we are starting to realize um, that is that maternal stress has a profound impact on fetal stress response and fetal health outcomes, not only in infancy and toddlerhood but also it seems to be also in adolescence all the way into adulthood, and it is gender specific. Um, and it is primarily concentrated um, in terms of profound impact um, in the second trimester of pregnancy. And we, Leslie gave, uh, I was sharing with you, Nathan, that Leslie gave a wonderful keynote on this about the neuropsychological um, developments of fetal stress response. Um, and so I am going to let her speak to this a little bit. But what we have found is that um, even though the data seems daunting, um, 
what we have found is that there are, just as there are nutrients that we can modify, include, um, and given therapeutic doses, there are also lifestyle measures that we can implement and help teach and help foster and empower the female to be able to modify her stress response. S simple things, uh, yoga, uh, tai chi, yes, but also listening to sweet music, um, spending time outside in green spaces, um, um, connecting for 15 to 20 minutes with loved ones, um, touch, uh, sound, um, you know, the list is long. Yeah. And so what we, what we trend toward as, as a whole in our um, approach to this is what can we do? What can we give the female? Um, what tools can we empower her with so that she can see that her, her choices are going to make a difference for her baby? Um, and so, but Leslie specifically can give you some um, just compelling, compelling uh, and influencing um, ways to the manner in which the maternal health response can impact that fetal stress response. So I will go ahead and let her speak to that a little okay. bit. Yeah. And I feel like, so, so I'm sort of the dismal part of the talk. <laughs> you know. And I'm the, what? Here, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you what you can do about it. Yeah. <laughs> the, the remarkable take-home is the part that needs to be heard the loudest. Yes. But, you know, we all have, we, we, we think of ourselves as being so remarkably plastic. It seems like if, if, if something bad happens to us in, in, uh, in during pregnancy, it seems like that's okay. We'll catch up afterward. Mm -hmm. And and I wish that were true, but boy, there is mounting evidence that says that we probably need to get it right mm -hmm. um, and that it does have transgenerational effects yep. as well. There's one study that we can cite and we can pass it yeah, along to you that, that, yeah, that's, yeah, that yeah, stress, maternal, sure, maternal stress um, impacts up to four generations of her family. Wow, and and this example is in this way that mm -hmm. maternal that um, prenatal uh, preterm deliveries mm -hmm. are profoundly impacted by the presence that, and I should say the reception of stressors, because it turns out we can modify that stress response and therefore modify the frequencies of um, prenatal delivery uh, of preterm deliveries, and so what that means is we they looked at a mother who delivers early. And there's going to be multifactorial. Yes, stress-related is a profound and powerful one, but it's also those micronutrient, those cofactor, the, the epigenome, the genome sorts of effects, the exposome sorts of effects. But the bottom line is if a mother delivers um, early, then her daughter is going to deliver earlier, yeah, right. and her granddaughter is going to deliver earlier, and her great-granddaughter is going to deliver earlier. It has, and yet... There are, and, and so then I want to pull right back to, and it seems to be it's the stress response that is the key piece of this. I'm, I mean, I'm just, I'll stay dismal for a minute more here, though. <laughs> <laughs> and that is um, uh, that mothers who do experience stressors during particularly that second trimester, it looks like we're protected in the third trimester. And it looks like there's other events that are happening, methylation that are not so profoundly um, uh, modified by the, by the stress response. But if we get that 15-week to maybe even up to 28-week time period and we apply stress there, we find that those, um, those babies born to mothers who experience that second trimester um, stress, those babies have, um, particularly the girls, have an altered, um, flattened, 
cortisol response to future stressors in their lives. And there's data that suggests that's durable through the um, early adulthood. And the reason why it stops that these, these prospective studies is what we're looking at. The reason why they stop at early adulthood is this is the, that's the length of studies that were initiated at the discovery that there was such a profound developmental effect of cortisol. So this is the 1990s, kind of, right? When we finally, when Barker came out with this information and others joined suit, you know, put that through. So the other thing we find from this cortisol effect, this um, this stress uh, stressful reception during the second trimester, is we find that there is um, an effect on the brain uh, development as well, frontal cortex, temporal cortex, the integrated visual cortex, and then there's this thing called connectivity. You know the the neurons that talk from these highly executive functioning parts of the brain to maybe like to the limbic to the amygdalas to the and through the hypothalamus and they are and they are less robust and that appears to be um a, a, a fact found during with with mris that are done in utero as well as those that are followed up through early adulthood as well so there are things we can do and yet there is this kind of durability piece uh, to these negative effects from cortisol there is, there is a remarkable piece of information that suggests, several pieces of information that suggests that, um, that girls particularly, they may survive more likely these stressful events perceived in the second trimester. There may be more baby girls um, born, but they are the ones that seem to have this cortisol response this, that's flattened and abnormal. They also tend to have more anxiety, more depression. The, the males be more likely to have schizophrenia. If we move these people into, now this is going to be a retrospective study I'm going to, I'm going to quote. If we move them into, if, and we're going to move these to the effects of these stressors and producing a small for gestational age um, neonate. If we take that small for gestational age neonate and we, and we look at them at, um, as a 75-year-old male. Now, this is, again, obviously, it's a retrospective. It's not that, that yes. powerful prospective sort of approach. But we find that those brains, those, those, um, those brains are more likely to have dementia, and they're more likely to have smaller um, brains, brain weight, and they also have a, a less robust um, uh, gray matter. You know, they're, they're, you know the, the, their cortex is just not going to be as thick and full as what it ought to be compared to those babies who were born at um, at normal for gestational age. So, the, but the profound, the most profound piece of this, you know, we, we hear these negative, and they are, they're, they're frighteningly negative, but they also explain, they inform us about how important it is for us to move now in these moments, these most vulnerable, but also most profoundly effective time periods to affect um, our resiliency, um, as you know, in that fifth and sixth and seventh and eighth and ninth decades. Incredible. Yeah, it's covering so many conditions there. Um, I don't know where to start with all the potential uh, conditions that it may um, drive. And yeah, I think it really, um, the, the old, what's the old saying, an ounce of prevention is, is worth a pound of cure here. So this there, developmental mm -hmm. origin of health and disease model really start off with the, the metabolic, but now we're finding stress and, and many other things. And it's... Um, 
you're setting up the scene for potentially a host of chronic diseases later on in life. So it sounds like that the, the information is there from prospective and retrospective and animal models. So now let's um, transition to how you, you two have pulled all this together to create uh, also, it can be overwhelming as well, I imagine, with all this information. How do we bring this into something that's actionable and also measurable in the clinic? So let's get into the, the study you, you've designed and perhaps if you can just um, give us an outline of of how this evolved. Yes, I will start with um, as all as all studies begin. I mean, it's it's it's, it's informed observations, right? We're looking for why it is that we can't seem to get better outcomes. We're looking for why it is we've got global epidemics when we shouldn't have. And so then we come back to a recognition that the human genome, some of the most important gene variants that we have, have really common nutrients is their cofactors, ones that speed them up and make them more effective. You know, for people who might have a gene that doesn't work as well as it needs to, and let's use methylation, you know, MTHFR is one that might be more familiar than others. You know, so it's a very common polymorphism. And that one has a few cofactors to try to make it go better. And so we thought our, 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 first, our first thought was, well, let's look for some, some key nutrients that ought to be a problem if they were abnormal, right, if they were deficient. And so, and also ones that seemed to, we knew what their clinical outcomes would be. And, and let's pick a carnitine as an example. Um, we know that uh, carnitine, its mechanism, we have to understand its mechanism. We know that it is, uh, it's an obligate nutrient for transport of fatty acids from the cytosol of the cell into the mitochondria. And that mitochondria then can take that fatty acids and convert it into available energy. If we don't have that carnitine to transport the fatty acids, they accumulate in that accumulation in the cytosol. And that accumulation results in increased like PPARs alpha and IGF2 and things that are inflammatory and are, are markers for diabetes. As it turns out, deficiencies in carnitine, um, well, and so if you're not pregnant, carnitine manifests in the secondary type of carnitine deficiencies as fatigue, profound fatigue. In pregnancy, it'll result in diabetes more commonly. It's associated, I should say, it's associated with diabetes. So we thought, okay, well, let's look for carnitine. And lo and behold, you know, 60% of our patients, 40 to 60% of our patients were carnitine deficient, secondary carnitine deficiency, not primary. Then we took the same approach with zinc. We went, oh, well, if that's the case, Let's look for zinc. Talk about a powerful, you know, um, three hundred enzymatic reaction right. mineral. Yeah. There it was again. You know, another one of those. And this, we're not talking about a place with food deserts here, right? You yeah. know, we have a, you know, we're, we're in a place where we should have plentiful access to food, food, but we just. So it's an indictment of our food supply. It's an indictment of our microbiome. It's an indictment of our our standard American diet. Mm-hmm. Right. There's there's lots of things going on here. But whatever the case is, we ended up with um, the, those were two examples. Vitamin D was another one. We thought, well, this, you know, we live up at the 41st, 42nd parallel or so. And sure enough, when we tested, um, we end up with uh, initially before we started giving everybody vitamin D, we found that 70 percent of our population was um, uh, deficient, technically deficient. And then um, 90% were insufficient. 
Yeah. And then um, we made some assumptions. We did some, uh, we initially, we were able to um, talk insurance companies into reimbursing us for looking for some genetic predispositions. And so we took MTHFR and we took COMT as two that are so powerfully um, implicated in that early differentiation in that first trimester. And we um, found that, um, and then if those persons had those uh, common polymorphisms, then we gave them the nutrients that they needed, which included zinc and magnesium and iron and the, and the rest of the B vitamins, but, you know, to support their function, as well as we replaced them as well to, to, uh, to yeah, and, and see, to see what our outcome, we made an assumption that those were going to be the things that were going to profoundly impact um, the function, the whole entire metabolic function of the body. So the other things we thought about were what we knew was going to be, we assumed some, we made some assumptions about what were going to be um, deficient as well based, uh, and those were our microbiome. We know that, that stress is one of those key interactive um, effects on the microbiome. We can significantly, in six hours, we can reduce the number of bacteria in our gut simply by having a small stressor. And if we are not taking in foods that are fermented and, and, and resupplying ourselves, we have this profound effect on our microbiome. Vitamin D is interactive with that as well. All of these factors turn out to be interactive and redundant with each other in terms of their effects. Yeah, exactly. So when we realized that it wasn't just going to be, if I'm going to try to make a reduction in pregnancy-induced hypertension, it's not going to be a one-nutrient sort of an effect. It means that we're going to have to start with um, thinking about the five major metabolic processes in the body, the first one being that single carbon metabolism, other examples being like ubiquitination, ubiquitination there we go, mm -hmm. um, acetylation, phosphorylation. But whatever the case, we're going to take all of the necessary things, these cofactors for those sorts of activities, for the genomic activities, for the common deficiencies that we find in our population, and they distill down to these, these frequent cofactors, the iron, the zinc, the carnitine, the magnesium, the D, the probiotics, the essential fats. And then we're going to go about systematically assessing each and in, assessing our, our population and then individuating our population and assessing them as equally importantly for their stressors and their stress responses. We're going to look at their um, and those stressors would be, you know, psychological, emotional, spiritual, but also detoxification, uh, toxic exposures, those systematic removal of these. We have not technically detoxed our population, but we certainly have given them these key nutrients that act in, it, it, to maximize their detoxification systems. For those persons who have particular, um, and we, uh, the other assessment that we do is a, is both the historical exam to see who's likely to be um, at risk um, from their family history and from their own habits. And um, yeah, and then we also do a clinical exam, which might include, which will include things like their own blood pressures and pulse and their hair and their skin and their mood and their past history of, of um, of psychiatric or you know mood disorders and then we roll this all all together and then we follow it 
um, initially with interventions, consistently through from first trimester, second trimester, third trimester, fourth trimester, and if we're lucky enough to get them in the preconceptual time period, we give them that application as well. We that we have um, multiple support platforms because we have found that everybody is an individual learner. We give them always something to do rather than something not to do. That's a good idea. And we work from a place of, which means that we are working always, from always, relentlessly from a place of empowerment. Because these are women and men, these are family units who want nothing more than to, than to raise this biological event in their life and turn it into something better than themselves. They want to transcend just it's, it's innate. And so previously when we couldn't get people to say stop their opiate addiction or we couldn't get them to stop their smoking or their other habits, then now what we do is, we, is they are able to do so with great support. It's true both nutritionally and lifestyle, um, stress modifications, and the results we'll go through. Fantastic. Well, um, plenty there. So... Uh, but essentially, if I could just quickly summarize, that's brilliant. Thank you. Um, you've done this personalized medicine, which we've, we've been focusing on lately. So you're, you're looking at biomarkers, um, some key ones there, zinc, carnitine, vitamin D, um, some single nucleotide polymorphisms. Plus, we're looking at the, the phenotype, the blood pressure and so forth, and really packaging something to an empowering personalized prescription for pregnancy. So I might mm-hmm. um, throw to Emily and to, to still... Um, I think one of your vernacular, and particularly, I think Michael was a uh, amateur baseball caller. Your wheelhouse um, <laughs> um, onto to nutrition and lifestyle. So, how did you deliver this? And, and probably just before we go on, um, just the <clears throat> methodology of this is uh, women who entered your clinic, and you were going to comp- you did compare those against um, some references. Can you just uh, speak about that, and then um, let's yes. move into the nutrition lifestyle program. Sure. Yeah. Okay, so I'll start with that. Is that what we did is we conscripted everybody who came into our clinic and, um, and, and everybody got this, I, I say the same treatment. Well, what that means is that we were, they were all analyzed and then individuated and, um, and then brought into a, uh, this, this group uh, dynamic that Emily so capably has developed and, and chaired. And then we compared, and then we, they were delivered at our low-risk hospital, and we compared them over the two years of our population to the other, um, other physicians who were delivering at this small, um, low-risk hospital. And so our comparative, comparison group is favorably comparative demographically, um, that would, ethnically, with the exception that the that we had one group, the, the uh, community-based, grant-based um, clinic that had more of a Hispanic population. And then we had the other, the, the, the third group, I'll say, was the, um, was the privates who compared completely the same um, uh, demographically, phenotypically, ethnically, um, and insurance, you know, what types of insurance there were. The only difference that really stood out was the Hispanic population that was predominantly in the community um, clinic. And then we know that there, uh, that the only difference between the way we practice medicine 
is simply this application of the personalized medicine, the grow baby um, uh, approach. Um, and, and then we looked at four common, um, common events, and that is maternal pregnancy-induced hypertension, maternal gestational diabetes, and then um, postpartum, the neonatal small for gestational age, and large for gestational age. And the reason why we picked those two neonatal outcomes is because those are the ones that have the, the highest quartile for risk for chronic disease. And uh, from that, we found, and then we also compared ourselves to current data from the globe, from the U.S., from, and from our region, you know, from the Jackson County, Oregon and Jackson County. And we found that we had statistically significant reductions in um, that pregnancy. Well, if we combined all comers, all of those four um, factors, the pregnancy-induced yes. hypertension, gestational diabetes, small and large for gestational age, we found that we statistically had a lower outcome for all of these. The statistics fell short for us for the small for gestational age because we didn't have any. <laughs> this is also true for our, our preterm <laughs> So you can't do a statistic on that. Right. <laughs> That's yes. what it comes down to. Exactly. Um, we um, also did not include the preterm um, labors. And the reason I didn't is I didn't feel like we could compare them well to the region because we also have um, just down the road a large uh, tertiary referral center that typically gets all of our preterm labors. Even if they start at our hospital, they move there okay. if they're truly going to deliver. And I thought that that data would be skewed. However, I can affirm that we don't have preterm labors. We've been doing this in a, in a we've been looking at our data since um, 2011. Uh, we've had, I can list on two fingers, our, our, uh, our early term deliveries. Wow. And that's, and so 37. And so when I look at that remarkably, Compared to, say, national data of um, approximately 10 to 11 percent, and that is also true for our um, Jackson County region as well, there is some selection, of course, because we are a low-risk hospital, but nonetheless, it's zero. It's zero. That's brilliant. So those those quite broad markers of um, weight and, um, and also the outcomes of hypertension and stuff serve as really good proxies at the moment for potential chronic disease risk later on so and no pre uh yeah well, zero preterm births and we just heard about how that links to um subsequent generations so that's um incredible outcomes and i believe you've also um done a bit of follow-up work with the actual um uh, the, the babies and toddlers since then on on um, early childhood uh, yeah. outcomes can you touch upon yeah. those Yes, and I, I feel like these are these are in the midst of, of really getting strong strong statistics st uh, strong statistical analyses on this, but we can tell you that we are less than two percent. You know, we're, we're in the one percent range for um, for autism, wow. for attention deficit disorder, the things that we can measure a, a, as a five year old because we've been doing yeah. this since two thousand eleven, okay. right? You know, so you know this is this is all we can say at this point, and we just need to. We need to do more robust uh, evaluation of it. Our asthma, our atopy, it, it's less than one percent. Yeah, we're all at in this that time. Yeah. Wow. And what's the the general mm -hmm. comparison with the 
uh, normal quote unquote population currently in the US for, for those conditions? Well, I think that um, I think the current diagnostic rate for autism is something a one out of eighty-seven. I think is what our cur- our most yeah. current rate is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we are. Yeah, we are far below that. Yeah. That's so, and I, I believe that we will be statistically below that, but I cannot tell you that yeah. as, yep. as yet. I will be able to. Yeah. We're still compiling the yeah, compiling <laughs> yeah. the analyses. So yeah, yeah the uh, <clears throat> the initial data is very very impressive. Um, well done, congratulations. Um, can you just touch yeah. upon the so we the, the nutrition we've prescribed you basically you gave a, a customized or a more intensive nutritional um, program to these people? Um, yes, yeah, so continue on. Yeah, yeah. sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry, no, no, I just, interrupted. That's you. right. And so you were supplementing <laughs> zinc and so forth to try and get to target ranges in, in these women. Um, so did you get there? What was the compliance like? And also, what was the, the non-nutritional instructions you gave to, to the um, patients on lifestyle and so forth? Yeah, so I, um, when Leslie and I started um, down this road together, I think she was initially trying to, to implement this without um, enough time, as, as you know, um, you know, providers run out of time, even if they, if, even if they're with their best intention, they yes. want to give it. So, um, so she, she and I, um, she basically said, do you think that you can compile this information in a way that we can implement? And I said, yeah, absolutely. Because I started initially um, taking food plans that were based off of the Institute for Functional Medicine core food plans and writing all over them, scratching all over mm-hmm. them, highlighting, circling, Xing out. And it just, and, and then I gave them to these women and they looked at me like I, you know, deer in the headlights, like what, <laughs> what do you want me to do? And so realized very quickly that I had to quantify um, this information in a very succinct, digestible way. And so so what I did was, based off of this research that Leslie and I started doing together, was took these cofactors that we know are so crucial for different periods of gestational development, fetal development, um, and then broke them down in nutrient um, support through food. And so there are, we have 12 different individualized food plans based off of the timing of pregnancy, first, uh-huh. second, third, fourth trimester. We also have a breastfeeding, we have postpartum anxiety and depression. We have um, pregnancy-induced hypertension, MTHFR polymorphism, um, and also gestational diabetes. So I was able to quickly individuate each woman that came to see me, taking their past medical history, current medical history, and also their current serum levels for uh, deficiency, insufficiency, or sufficiency, and create these optimal ranges that we were looking for. Um, And... I think between Leslie and I, the reinforcement they were getting with their standard OB care and then the additional supplemental um, enforcement they were getting with me with uh, four uh, two-hour group medical visits throughout their trimesters, um, we were able to to create a very robust, supportive uh, program that reinforced everything that was good and positive about being pregnant and everything that you could do um, in terms of changing the fetal health outcomes that may or may not be a part of your history. Um, so I think between Leslie and I, we were able to to create something that is sustainable and that is replicable. Um, and if we look into nutrition even more, what we do know is that if we can find a solution, if we know that there is a nutrient cofactor in our body, if we can find a solution in food, then we are going to do far more good with the food than with mm-hmm. the single reduced yes. nutrient. 
And so that was my job. My job was to, yes, take serum levels. Yes, see if we needed a therapeutically dose, but really try to encourage and change the lifestyle habits and choices through food. Um, and as we are starting to learn, it really does not take very much time for our palate to shift, for our neurochemical response to shift to salt, you know, away from salt, sweet fat, into these rich phytonutrient-dense foods, into these lean sources of protein, healthy fats. We get a different metabolic biochemical reaction in a very short period of time. And so my job was to not only, yes, implement what Leslie um, came up with um, as these crucial uh, nutrient cofactors, but then to translate them into real-world eating. Um, and, and so between the two of us, I think we we did it. <laughs> that, that plus include stress response, response yeah, yeah. stress modifiers. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. Because we, and, and trying to give people ways that we're um, culturally sensitive, sensitive yeah. you know, specific to that individual and giving them the, the, the very encouraging reinforcement. And I, I just have to throw in this one study because it's just so exciting to me that it can be so simple. They did this one study where they were looking at stress response and stress reduction and they were looking at the response of um, the uterine blood flow. And so what they did is they took a mom and they had her hold her hand on her tummy and, and, uh, and listen to music that she enjoyed for 15 minutes. And they measured the blood pressure, basically, the systolic-diastolic ratio and the umbilical artery and a couple other resistance markers within the placenta. And they found that they could just... 15 minutes could could significantly alter in a very positive way that blood pressure response in the in the uh, in the placenta and therefore in the in that fetus. It's incredible. Uh, it is incredible. <laughs> 15 minutes. Wow. 15 minutes. You know, hold your hand and listen to music. You're like, okay. Well, talk about doable. So part and of the group classes is yeah. is just that. Is also looking at the what else can we modify. Um, what other tools can we give? And, and yes, they land on stress response. They land in sleep hygiene. They land in exercise and movement. They land in relationships and communication. Um, go the ahead, Powerful Leslie. data with the group. The, right. the group, just, just having people come together, together. and did nothing else. Yeah. Just you know, in the center wow. pregnancy kind of model. Mm -hmm. Just having people get together will reduce cortisol levels, will reduce preterm labors, mm -hmm. and particularly high-risk populations is true. But the trend is there for all. That's amazing. Um, it makes me think it's like the, the Dean Ornish study of uh, pregnancy, isn't it? The, the Dean Ornish who uh, showed with uh, intensive yeah. lifestyle and diet intervention for those men with low-grade prostate cancer could completely change the, the transcriptome in their, their prostate tissue. And, and this is really echoes that with uh, not only the women, their health, but the children uh, they deliver about the outcomes. It's incredible looking at the yeah, the, the whole, whole whole lifestyle package, not just the, as you said, the single nutrients, but um, connection and so forth. Well done. So well, here's, here's, here's my wish list, though. I'll just let yes, you know. Yeah, that the only that. That we have, <laughs> yeah, and that is that we have these wonderful outcomes. I would love, my, my, my wish list is that we could check that we could be more robust with our evaluation of the transcriptome, ah. those that are particularly, 200 that are particularly um, involved in developing a great baby. And a look at that in the preconceptual time period, first, second, third trimesters, because these are this is such a constant, you know, malleable changing uh, event. 
and in that postpartum time period too has to do with lactation and and look at our and compare outcomes with yeah and just compare outcomes it would be fascinating <laughs> because i bet you we can come up with great predictors yeah, yeah. wow fascinating now i just want to move on to the application to a broader population so you've developed the grow baby program if i can call it that um, and this helps to execute this for, for your patients. So can you um, give us a snapshot of the, the Grow Baby? Yeah, absolutely. So what Leslie and I wanted to do is we wanted to be able to replicate ourselves but quickly realized we could not clone ourselves. So <laughs> we went to the best and next um, most facile uh, platform, which is online. So we, uh, I, through, I don't know, it took about a year to create two different um web-based applications for this. So one is Grow Baby Mom and one is Grow Baby Pro. And both of these applications, one is directly uh, geared and focused toward the provider who can say this provider provides pregnancy care but isn't going to have the time nor nor do they have the infrastructure that holds a nutrition specialist or RD um, or healthcare coach that they can download this Grow Baby Pro app and um, pay for a a subscription and create individual customized uh, nutrition profiles for each patient that they have, modified by food sensitivities, food restrictions, also gestational age, um, how many babies that the mother is having, um, the most common maternal morbidities of pregnancy, pregnancy-induced hypertension, gestational diabetes, MTHFR polymorphism, and it's also modifiable for a vegan, vegetarian, and also paleo eating. So it is and also WIC. So um, so it is modifiable in many, many ways, customizable in many ways, and it, it really takes very little time to create a profile for each woman that they want to help track the, these uh, modifiable, customizable lifestyle factors. So yes, it is really geared toward nutrition, but there is an exercise component to it. And then there's a real, very robust educational piece to it that does touch into the stress um, modification and stress response and stress management on the um, the consumer side, on the on the maternal side of the, of of this app. So. Both of these apps, they, they provide the same purpose, which is to create a customizable food plan. But the major difference between the two is that the Grow Baby Pro allows um, for the provider to filter with a diagnostic code or a diagnosis um, of high blood sugar, high blood pressure, or um, MTHFR polymorphism. And our hope was that this app, these app, this, this web-based journal digital food journal allowed for a broader reach and to all to ensure people that this can be done as well it doesn't take it doesn't take extreme amounts of effort um and so the app is also built in the same fashion which is we are going to give women everything they can do so the list is not comprehensive of food the you know the comprehensive food list we have are are the foods that we know are going to be highest um, in terms of nutrient density and healthy caloric density for optimizing um, a pregnancy. So it's you're not going to see Kellogg's Special K, hmm. but you will you will see quinoa and you will see barley and you will see you know whole grains and you know meaning that we we are not trying to emphasize as much of no you can't have a cookie no you can't have cake no you can't have Jello more so. Look at everything that you can do. Yeah. What we'd like you to focus on is the carrot, is the blueberry, you know, is the bowl of salad that you that you 
consume that day. And let's applaud and affirm that behavior. Um, And not even allow the female to log a cookie. (laughs) Because it turns out, and this is true for the body in general, it's what you do, it's the things you do for it, the good things that you do for it that matter. And the rest of it tends to, your body can then metabolize it. It can take care of it, can detoxify the rest of the things that are happening. And the wants and desires and cravings leave yeah incredible so literally the the carrot rather than the stick approach to um this app so that yes. from from, yeah. from a user perspective they they have prompts and things there's goals Carrot's and things nice they um, are trying to achieve yeah describe what it looks yeah. like for the yeah. user and yeah so what it will do is it will it will individuate you based off of what is called your basal metabolic rate and also your bmi so that body mass index and it will then give you a target caloric range based off of what trimester you're in you are in and how much gain you have or weight you have not gained or how much weight you have gained right. so it will help keep you within a target healthy weight um, gain range throughout your entire pregnancy and it modifies every trimester and it modifies if you add exercise and it modifies if you change to becoming a vegetarian in the second trimester. And it, it modifies every single time to try to keep you within that target range. And then these bars reinforce that you know, they stay green, 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 as long as you can eat. And then it stops at red, um, you know, and it, and it affirms every time, like you've done a great job. Here are the top, you know, food choices. If you're trying to manage your blood sugar, here are the top food choices if you're trying to manage your blood pressure. Um, and then it reinforces it in a very comprehensive glossary of terms as well. Um, and there are some stress management videos in there too. So it, there's many ways. Oh, and then there's also trimester shopping lists. So if you're a mom in the first trimester, you don't want to deal with anything else on the app except for just give me a shopping list. So you click on the first trimester shopping list and up pops all the foods with the nutrient cofactors we know that are going to be most supportive for gestational development in the first trimester and so on and so forth. It, it goes throughout throughout your pregnancy that way. Yeah, fantastic. And also other prompts or other sort of targets, was there like protein and water and a few other uh, mm-hmm. areas as well? Yep. Can you touch yep, on that? Yeah, absolutely. And that's all, yep, that's all customized when your first login page, when you're creating your profile. So then it will, and it's all based off of what is called a low glycemic index um, macronutrient ratio. So, you know, the 30, 30, 40, 30% protein, 30% fat. 40% carbohydrate because what we do know about um, uh, what we do know about that low glycemic index is it tends to decrease the risk of some of the developments of these chronic diseases, particularly as it pertains to uh, metabolic syndrome. Yeah. The protein and changing the protein toward the higher um, density needs, particularly in the second and the third trimester. Great, sounds really. Obviously, mm-hmm. personalized and um, customized around each um, trimester. So just to, um, from a practical perspective, it's not an app from like um, Google Play or iTunes where you're searching it's an online one, which you still can use obviously on your smartphone and so forth. Is that correct? Yes, you can use. And we did initially have an iOS app and um, we could not support it any longer. Okay. So it is yep. it is um, accessible through our website, but it is formatted for an, um, a smartphone. Yes. Um, any type of smart pad, and then also the computer. Okay, so yeah, if people look for it, not, not through their Play Store and so forth, but um, hop online and, and Correct. search great. But baby. online. Fantastic. Throwbabyhealth.com mm-hmm. is where they can find it. Okay, so we'll wrap up in a moment. Um, I know, uh, Leslie, you had a bit of a wish list for the future research, but um, yeah, any plans for the future in further looking at the data or um, larger studies and so forth? 
looking into pardon data data yes yeah. so our um, we would like to do this absolutely in a in a prospective manner using additional um, ethnicities and demographics right and different cultures we would love to expand this um, to a multi-site multi-country um, application where we have um, this prospective application uh, with a culturally sensitive um, app uh, modification. And then with that, I'm just sure that this is going to happen, so I'm just going to put it right out there too, is with a, a good evaluate, thorough evaluation of the transcriptase activities of these you know, key gene variants that have to do, that will, will be our key targets for improving the health of those neonates. And from that, I'm just sure that we'll be able to predict exactly which nutrients are going to be mm. and which exactly which lifestyle measures mm -hmm. are going to be those that are applicable to those. We're going to personalize it even further based on these because there's going to be differences ethnically and mm -hmm. you know, culturally. Mm -hmm. And I'm just sure we can evaluate those and, That's fantastic. and make this something that could be a global application. Well, and so I, I guess if we could summarize, and it is a little pie in the sky, Nathan, but if we could summarize, our wish list is to change maternal health outcomes globally. Right. <laughs> and, and, and really, it's, and it's even that is that I, I, yeah. I, we, we plan on eliminating this global epidemic. Yeah. 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 You know, you're not going to have, we're not going to be, uh, this next generation is going to live longer and healthier than the current yeah. one. Which yeah. Currently, that is not the prediction. Yeah. And, and, and we can do this. Yes, it will take a generation, but it'll probably just take one, one. generation. Yeah. Well, I love your passion. It's um, yeah, infectious. Yeah, the hard work you've done, and and the smart work as well to, to put all this together. I'm really, really um, blown away. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited about the future. That it's hard to measure what you've prevented as well, like all the heartache and and um, morbidity and, and so forth that um, yes. you're preventing. But I'm sure you're doing a great job. So yeah, I, I can't, just can't thank you enough for your time and congratulations on your work and yeah, I, I look forward to seeing more of it in the future. Well, thank you for your time, Nathan. We yes. really appreciate it. Appreciate this very much. Thank, thank, you. thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Metagenics Clinical Podcast. Find us on iTunes and leave a review. Join our practitioner-only Metagenics Facebook group to be informed of new podcast releases, keep up to date with key industry updates and more. Visit metagenics.com.au to find useful links and resources relating to this podcast and sign up for our e-newsletter.